Hello, I'm Kay Cornish, editor of My VIP, the customer magazine for Pets at Home, and I'd like to welcome you to the Pets at Home Kitten podcast. The idea with this series of podcast episodes is to take you through everything you need to know from planning for a kitten all the way through to their first adult years, really, where we're going to cover everything from what you should do to kitten-proof your home, what to feed them, how to play with them, how to understand them. And to do this, I will be joined by many expert guests and with their advice and support, we are hoping to help you and your new pet have a wonderful time together. So hope you enjoy them. Let's crack on. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pets at Home Kitten podcast. This episode, we will be exploring behaviour and body language, what your kitten's trying to tell you, how you can understand them better. And also we'll be covering things like spraying, marking, territory, uh, how to ease their stress and lots of other stuff. So joining me this episode again is the wonderful Carleen Herman, who is a qualified vet as well as being head of pets at Pets at Home. Hello, Colleen. Hello. And also interjecting with his pennyisms yet again is owner of adorable kitten Penny. We've got James Headley, who is a member of the Pets at Home Kitten Club and, uh, like I said, dad of Penny. Hello, James. Hello. And also joining us this episode is Dr. Sam Gaines, who is Head of Companion Animals, a Science and Policy at the RSPCA. Hello, Dr. Sam. Hello. So let's explore body language and a bit more about how to learn to speak kitten. Learning to understand what our kittens are trying to tell us is a very important part of helping them settle into very human surroundings and become fulfilled and a contented member of the family. So Colleen, can you kick off with uh, the body language of kittens? Yes, of course. I think probably everyone agrees now that cats are not small dogs. And unlike a lot of dog body language, feline communication is actually quite subtle and a lot harder to interpret and I think we still often think of them even though we try not to but think of them as small dogs and we sort of use a lot about what we know about dogs and transfer it onto cats which yeah. is always right so in cats small changes can be really indicative of actually quite large changes in their emotional state so <clears throat> you know a really simple example might be two cats staring at each other you know on opposite ends of the of the street or even in your own home in different rooms through the doorway might not seem that big of a deal but actually stare, two cats staring at each other is quite aggressive body language which is really really stressful yeah there's a lot there's they're so subtle aren't they like you say that you, you there's so much going on when you just think they're just sitting at other ends of the room and everything's fine just because they're not screaming at each other and fighting doesn't mean there's a load of communication going on there exactly so well obviously you know you've got sort of body language facial expressions can be really subtle and um they do express a lot of of um emotion as well through sort of touch and smell so while you know, well, we can obviously teach ourselves to to spot some key facial and body positions. We can't really smell or hear as well as they can, which is probably a good thing. But <laughs> it, it does mean that we might not appreciate quite how much um, stimulation they, they've got going on. So while we can pick up a lot of our, our um, cats' sense signals directly, it is actually really important to appreciate the significance of scent to, to your cat or kitten because that plays such a big role in how they perceive the world and can also help when 
there's maybe behaviors in your home that you don't really like your cat to perform, but actually understanding where that comes from and then redirecting it can be really useful. Yeah, absolutely. So do our cats communicate much with us directly or are we just left to interpret their moods as and when? We often say that cats maybe aren't as domesticated as, as dogs, but it's quite interesting. Meowing is not actually a, a common method of communication between adult cats. They don't they don't routinely meow at each other. And, and, and that noise is really reserved to to talking and communicating with us. Oh, right. Yeah, I've read that. So they've literally learned how to meow at humans to to get something. That's that's fascinating, isn't it? James, is Penny quite vocal? She's getting more vocal, actually. And um, when we when we first got her, she didn't really meow at all. But I think she's using that. She's not silly now. She knows that she can use that to get her attention. So if she wants to go outside or she's hungry or she just wants us to give her some attention, then she will come up to us and meow. Definitely. She's not stupid. That's for sure. I bet you, you you know, whether it's conscious or unconscious, you will be reinforcing that behaviour. So that's why they learn it and then do more of it, because when they meow at us, we'll maybe feed them or give them a treat or give them some fuss so they get something, which is why they'll they'll do it more and more. And, And some breeds are really vocal, so it can be dependent from cat to cat as well yeah definitely uh and she does usually get her way because obviously you don't want to keep hearing a meow constantly so if she wants to go out we let her out there are there are times obviously where we can't give her what she wants so then she just we just we just ignore her basically and eventually she stops but it is it sounds like it's a pretty uh, it's a highly effective method that they've touched upon there so sorry um carry on carlene well obviously you know the, the meowing we've just covered but there are um other sounds as well that cats will use um to communicate both with us and other cats you know like occasionally they will growl or chirping you might hear especially when there's sort of in play or hunting and also obviously hissing and then last but not least purring so purring has been likened to I guess a human smile so you know we often see it as um, or interpret it as an expression of, of happiness and contentment but actually it can also be used when they're nervous to self-soothe or even to to soothe others and so it, it's not it's not always a, a positive um, sound but I would say most of the time it, it is. Okay so let's kick off with um, exploring some feline body language Reading your cat's body language can obviously give you a good insight into how they're feeling in the moment. And understanding these signs, especially those displaying anxiety or annoyance, can help you prevent misunderstandings between cats and people. Carleen, yeah, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we cover it in in the play episode as well. Yeah. obviously reducing the risk of bites and scratches. So so knowing when when your cat is in that sort of, you know, really playful mood or your kitten, making sure you get a toy involved so you don't you don't get bitten or scratched. Or also, you know, learning which areas of of, of your kitten or cat, which ones they don't really like touched, because that's really individual as well. And 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 also understanding body language is important to to help you create, I guess, a home environment that suits your kitten and 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 therefore avoids other unwanted behaviours. So we've already said staring at each other, for example, is a really uh, stressful and quite an aggressive thing for cats to do. Mm. And cats are really sensitive and prone to to chronic stress in env- in environments, especially that aren't suitable. But again. They don't always show it, um, but it can have quite severe consequences. For example, there's a type of of cystitis, which is a really painful um, inflammation of the bladder, which is linked to stress. 
and um, chronic stress can also make other conditions worse. So, you know, if this may be a mild underlying skin problem, but all of a sudden they really start over grooming because the stress just ticked them over the edge. Yeah. You mentioned the bladder um, inflammation. How would you spot symptoms of inflammation of the bladder in your kitten? So it's, you know, not that common in kittens. I would say it probably starts in sort of young adolescent cats and then adolescent cats and uh, you know cystitis in itself can be caused by lots of different things um so it's quite a, a specific type of cystitis called feline interstitial cystitis which is where stress can play a big role um and there's other factors as well you know a cat being overweight you know not very active indoor only and 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 being on on um predominantly dry food are all all sort of compounding factors i guess and and there isn't a test either to to diagnose it so you basically need to or your vet will need to rule out all the other causes of of an inflamed bladder so signs are are pretty obvious you know it's things like difficulty or painful urination so often they cry when they're in the litter tray Mm -hmm. or they might pee more there might be blood in the urine or they might start you know when they've been perfectly litter trained start urinating outside of the of the box right I was going to say that what what is that behavior thing of 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 peeing outside the litter tray is that 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 is actually indicative of something wrong it it can be but it it could also it could also be because the litter tray you've provided um just isn't the right type for your cat they just don't like it either the location or the type of litter or or the whole tray so some cats find covered litter trays quite stressful others prefer them or you know if you've got an elderly cat especially if it's quite difficult to get into they might just not bother because it's yeah. it's too painful for their old joints. But yeah, it can be a sign absolutely of um, cystitis. So if your cat starts, you know, toileting inappropriately around the house, the first thing I would always recommend is get them checked over by a vet, get the sort of physical health conditions excluded, and then you know you can concentrate on behaviour. Yeah, and start eliminating the the psychological elements. Okay, so let's explore the different parts of the body with which your kitten will use as a communication tool. So let, let's um, let's start with the face. Well, you might think, oh, cats' faces don't, don't um, change that much. Actually, if you really, you know, sort of take the time to observe them, there, there is quite a lot there. And, you know, they, they obviously use their, their face or their head a lot more to perceive the world around them um, much more than we do. So their ears can can obviously move to help locate sounds and they can hear frequencies that we can't, like rodents squeaking, which we, we, we can't. Their eyes are much more sensitive as well, so especially to fast movement, which is why, you know, when you play with them, short bursts and fast um, movement is, is um, really fun for them. And obviously they've got a heightened sense of, of smell. So, you know, their ear position, eyes, also, the, the position of their whiskers can tell you a lot. Yeah. And, and obviously, pupil size. Again, in, in the play um, episode, we talked about, you know, when their eyes go really black, their pupils yeah. dilate massively. That can be that they're quite aroused and, and, and ready to hunt or, or play. Obviously, in dim lighting, the pupils would get bigger as well. But yeah, relaxed ears and whiskers generally mean you've got a relaxed cat. If the whiskers go forward or, or, you know, start facing outwards and forwards, it means your cat is is alert. If they flatten their ears, that tends to be a bit more defensive. Yeah, um, that's that's the the proper one that you can really spot, isn't it? The sort of 
back in the it's, it's obvious um so yeah so maybe have a look around and see what might be upsetting them if if, if you see that that's quite often to do with other cats actually yeah. um if they then swivel outwards um the ears that could indicate aggression so be careful um, if you see that because sometimes you can get that in play as well. So you might not get or you might not get a warning before they, you know, really um, attack your your hand or your arm, which hopefully should never be the case if you've always played with toys rather than um, limbs. <laughs> you yeah. Know. yeah, always important to uh, detract them from, uh, sorry, distract them from your skin. <laughs> always have a toy to hand. And um, so, yeah, so I've, I've read or I've always believed that um, a slow blinking, a kitten slow blinking or a cat slow blinking means that they're smiling at you and they're quite happy. Is that true? Yeah, they do. They do um, tend to do it when they're relaxed. So definitely something to try is, um, yeah, a, a long, slow blink to to your cat or even when they've got their their eyes half closed. Um, they do. They do quite enjoy that. So it's a nice thing to try. James, have you have you experimented with blinking at Penny? Uh, yeah, I have actually. And I think <laughs> one of my previous cats when I grew up, I used to do it a lot and she really, really enjoyed it. I don't know, I'm not sure about Penny, but I do do it. I give it a go. And yeah, usually when she's like dozing off or half asleep, she'll kind of she'll do those slow blinks anyway. So I kind of do them back to her and yeah, then she goes straight to sleep. But I think she'd go to sleep anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but it's, it's still it's a, it's a lovely way, even if we're just thinking it to ourselves. It's a lovely way to communicate. Yeah with your kids it, it is it is and even just sitting there next to them and just you know just being relaxed around them I think they can sense that and I think the cat likes that if that makes sense yeah so what does Colleen uh the other end of the spectrum what do, what does a, a non-blinking stare indicate in a kitten so often if if um if you see a non-blinking stare and especially with more dilated pupils as well um that tends to indicate obviously more sort of an arousal state um, which can be through, you know, fear, anger or excitement. So if you're about to play or you're in the middle of play, that, that could obviously be a, a positive thing. But if there's another cat outside and you see your, your kitten um, doing that, that can be quite stressful. So all in all, generally best to avoid staring at cats. Yeah, don't stare at cats. They don't like it. And I suppose that's why there's the old adage of, of cats always tend to move towards people that say oh I don't like cats and it's because those people probably aren't staring at them are they if you oh, love a cat you're like yeah. oh come here and you're staring at it and they always go to the people that are like not interested let's move on to the other end of the kitten what what, what does the tail what can the tail tell us so the tail can also be quite a visible indicator obviously of how your cat is feeling but again quite different to to dogs um we touched on before that cats are not small dogs so very very different or movements that might be the same mean different things in them so um if the tail is held up um vertically especially if it's a bit hooked over at the end that that's quite a friendly tail but if you see any movement like waving so unlike in dogs a waving tail in 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 your cat is usually a sign that they're they're agitated or annoyed and if they're really upset they might really lash it from side to side or yeah. even buff up the fur on their tail and spine to make themselves look bigger um, so th those are not those are not good signs. And um, if they're really threatened as well, they'll obviously arch their backs or 
or hunched down, or you might get the thumping of the tail as well, which means that they're, they're feeling quite defensive. James, what what does this does Penny thump her tail? Or I don't. So she's not she's not a very aggressive kitten, is she? She's, no, she's, she's not she's not aggressive at all. But um, there's been a couple of times actually where she's ran back in into the garden, into the house with a tail standing up on end, very very bushy. Yeah, she almost looks like she's she's trying to make herself as big as possible. Even her even her fur coat is kind of a little bit you yeah. know, sticking up. And uh, and her eyes, her her pupils are dilated. They're really really big. So uh, she's either been startled by something or she's been scared off. Uh, so yes, yeah, it's only happened a few times, but I have noticed that. Uh, but generally speaking, she's a very very chilled cat. But um, I I think it might be another cat, maybe a couple of doors down. She's probably bumped into, ran back, and you know obviously got a bit scared and come back to us for a bit of security. Yeah, she needs she needs to stake her claim on her territory, which we'll come to shortly. And um, one of the biggies that everyone's um, aware of with uh, kittens is face rubbing. Are they are they just being genuinely affectionate, or is there something else going on there? No, that is that is a, a sign that they're they're really comfortable with being stroked. Um, if they then rub rub their face um, on you as well. So you know we we've said it before with with kittens and cats, it's always best to. Um, you know, not force anything and get them to start anything. So if you if you put your hand out and they come towards you and they start rubbing your hand, that's obviously an invitation to to stroke them. Um, but also the face or just face rubbing in general, you might see your kitten do it around the house as well um, because they have scent glands on their chin and, and, and on their face that release pheromones. So it, it basically they're marking you know, I guess kind of their territory, but the pheromones um, sort of make them feel safe and, and they're comforting. So if, if your cat is feeling anxious, actually, you might, with your kitten, you might see them doing it more as they sort of reinforce those those smells. So I, I bet if, if, you know, for people who have kittens or, or cats, if you if you go on your hands and knees and have a look around your house um, at cat height, I bet you'll find common face rub areas because they're, they're sometimes a little bit stained and greasy, which might not sound very pleasant, but <laughs> they give your cat great comfort. So try not to be too an overzealous cleaner and because uh, they'll just do it again. Yeah. <laughs> and you might even stress them out more. So, um, yeah, leave them be if you can. Oh, that's 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 really interesting, actually. It's another thing that you just wouldn't even consider like you know when you're wiping surfaces and polishing your wooden legs of tables and sofas or whatever you're like you say you're literally anything that's a smooth surface is just going to wipe away isn't it and your kitten's just gone to all that trouble and you've just eliminated all that hard work so yeah do bear that in mind and it doesn't smell or anything it doesn't really show so it doesn't really matter it's not like you're gonna have a dirty house because you've got your cat rubbing areas in your house it's, it's, it's not an quite, issue quite subtle yeah. yeah absolutely what about kneading you know when they knead um before they sit down with their paws so when we talked about um you know in another episode we talked about scratch posts obviously you know we know they have these glands between their toes and again they give off a scent so again it's a, it's another way to to sort of mark out their territory, which can be by, by scratching, obviously, but the kneading um, also releases this pheromone. Often see it more in, in, in kittens, but adult cats sometimes um, do it as well, still usually on soft furnishings. So there's good behaviour and bad behaviour, not so much good and bad, but in some cases there might be some unwanted behaviour that owners might not necessarily understand. 
in their kitten and you know we, we're gonna we're gonna um inevitably talk about who and we at some point as we always do but um what can you do to deter unwanted behavior and what do these unwanted behaviors actually mean what was your kitten trying to tell tell you so i think it's really important for people to understand you know what the behavior means and never punish their kitten or cat for for anything they do that might be unwanted but actually explore the reasons behind it so i think sam probably inappropriate you know sort of toileting is quite a big one would you agree yeah absolutely and i think what i'd also add to what you've said Callie, as well is that you know a lot of behaviours that people believe or, or perceive as unwanted in their cats or kittens are very normal behaviours for that particular individual. So it's really important that it, we might find it frustrating, annoying, but it is that by using that behaviour, that cat or kitten is trying to tell us how they feel. So absolutely, as you said, you know, it's really, really important that we don't punish those behaviours, but that we really seek to sort of understand what's going on. And as you say, you know, like inappropriate urination and spraying is one of those behaviours that I think many owners find very, very difficult. You know, understandably, people don't want their cat or kitten spraying in their home. They don't want them going to the toilet in inappropriate places. But it's really important to understand that their cat will be doing that for a reason and there's probably something that actually they're finding really worrying and really stressful and getting to the bottom and understanding why that is will give you absolutely the best chance of resolving it and keeping both of you happy. Colleen how do you go about understanding and resolving it should we should we um should we start inside the house and then move out to the garden? Yeah with, with inappropriate toileting I mean I would say the first thing to to find out I guess is you know, especially with urine, is it actually spraying or is it going to the toilet and 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 and, and urinating? So um, the difference would be that spraying is often against the vertical surface and sort of at a bit of a height, whereas you know inappropriate urination would be more of a, a puddle on the on the floor. With behavioural issues, always really important to think about illness and injury as well. So always get get your kitten checked over by a vet to exclude, you know, anything um, physical going on. Sometimes it's a combination of, of the two. But then it's, um, you know, obviously looking at your kitten's environment. Has anything changed? What about the position of your litter tray? You know, is it not the right litter tray or not the right position? Or are you using really heavily scented cat litter, for example, that your kitten just really doesn't like? And, and, and that's what they're they're trying to tell you. So, uh, Sam, would the type of tray or the type of litter you're using, do, do cats, do kittens have a preference with that? Could that could the issue be with that? Yeah, absolutely. So cats and kittens will have individual preferences, but typically what you'll see is cats want some privacy to go to the toilet. So they like to have a large litter box that is covered. But what they also like to have as well is a good depth of litter so that they can actually sort of um, dig and scratch to make a hole and then to cover it over. So it may well be that if you're finding that your cat or kitten is going elsewhere in the home, the litter tray that you are providing is not meeting what they actually need. So it is worth thinking about that as well and, and trying perhaps a different litter material or a bigger litter tray or one that actually is covered. And also then just thinking about where to put it as well. So putting it somewhere where your cat or kitten's unlikely to be disturbed so they can actually just go to the toilet in peace. And also, don't I don't know why um, lots of um, cat and dog owners do this. Why do people put the food bowls by the toilet? Why do they put the food bowl by the litter tray? I mean, how, how awful is that? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like the last thing that any of us would want to do, and obviously cats as well, they don't want to eat and drink next to where they go to the toilet. So it is really important to think about where you actually place these different items because all of them, you know, obviously their food, their water, where they go to the toilet is hugely important. So making sure though that you keep them separate so that they, you know, that they're actually being able to eat, able to drink in in a nice environment as opposed to having their toilet right next to them. Yeah, I mean, they've got all those awful smells. So sorry, I didn't mean to say how awful is that I wasn't judging anybody out there that I'm I'm sure lots of people are actually completely unaware that Mm. that isn't the thing to do because it's such a you know it's such a thing that's just just the norm isn't it in most households you've got the 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 the, the cat area kitten area which is the toilet and the food so yeah sorry I'm not judging anybody out there that wasn't aware of that James what what um what positioning have you got in your house of bowl versus litter tray have you done it correctly or are you uh, guilty of putting it all in the same place? No, I can see why people do that. But no, yeah. I haven't. I have kept them separate. I have purposely put it in the corner of the room. And I think that gives, as you say, a bit more privacy. And we do actually, if Penny ever does go to the toilet, we, we try and obviously stay away from her just so she has that added, added privacy. Uh, in terms of cat litter uh, and what we use, uh, we do have quite a deep litter tray. We find that works quite well and it's quite a big litter tray actually but it does mean that basically she, she doesn't let it come all over the onto the onto the floor because it's so deep and it has a bit of a lip on it which i think helps but actually she doesn't even use it anymore because now she's going outside i think she prefers to do her business out there rather than inside so we keep it there though just as like a protection so obviously in the middle of the night when she's in the house if she ever needs to go it's there but she seems to wait until first thing now and then runs outside to go to the toilet so Sam, J- James just mentioned about putting the food bowl in the corner. I have read in my many years as being an editor of my VIP that do they do they like looking out or is it okay to have their bowl to have them facing the wall as they eat or should they be looking out into the room? Is that kind of like a, a primeval safety security measure to be looking out just in case something's on the move to get them? So I think that very much like when, when cats are actually eating and drinking and they're low down to the floor, they do like to be able to see what is going on. So actually allowing them that ability to, you know, be able to look over their bowl and see what's going on as well is is important. The other thing that's really important to say as well is about just sort of keeping water and food separate as well. So you know, in the past, it's been quite popular to have what are called like double diners. Um, and so people have put food and water next to one another. But again, you know, these are important resources for cats and they do like them to be separate. So it's just, you know, worth thinking about that as well. And also, I think is it I think we've touched on this in the nutrition episode, actually, but sort of hiding food and, you know, the behaviour of like mimicking what they do in the wild of hunting for their food around the house, put little treats in different parts of the house and also maybe putting different bowls or having different kinds of water like a fountain or cats like moving water don't they for some reason they like batting the tap and all that but I think I think we have covered that off before but that that's something else to bear in mind Colleen especially I think with um if you have more than one cat in your house um you know Sam described a double diner which you know traditionally was food and water but I have also seen people just put food in both ends because they have two cats but actually you're better having food balls in different places in the house because they might not if they had the choice and again it all comes down to to choice and giving cats that opportunity to choose they might not choose to eat right next to each other obviously if it's the only 
option, they will, but you might be introducing a level of stress there, um, chronic stress that, that's easily avoided. Especially if you've got a greedy cat and a non-greedy cat, one, one and eat at separate times, one just might go and eat both bowls and the other one you might not know who's eating what. So, But you get, you get these clever and smart um, feeding bowls now that can actually recognise the cat's microchip and only dispense as much as they're allowed in, in the day. So that's always a good one if you've got cats on different diets or, or one that is a little bit too tubby and, and another one that can have a bit more. <laughs> And if you need, um, if just to mention here that um, if you go in store, that the, the colleagues are, are trained to give you specific uh, nutrition consultation advice. So pop in store and, and chat to someone, one of the team, if you want a little bit more advice on nutrition and also litter. They can talk to you about litter. Uh, OK, so, Sam, what about um, I know cats like cats. Well, we all know that cats do love a cardboard box and, and a dark corner. So what are they big fans of hiding? What, what's that? What are they trying to tell us? Yeah, so cats and kittens do like to be able to hide. So providing them with somewhere where they can move away from us can is really valuable. It helps them feel secure. And so that, you know, if you've got a cat or a kitten that is that you know through their behaviour, for example, is feeling particularly stressed, making sure that they have got a hiding place is really important. But also the things that you can do in terms of reducing stress in cats and kittens is providing them with areas that they can sit up quite high. So cats do like to be able to be up high um, on a shelf, for example, very much gives them additional space within the um, territory, but also allows them to sort of like monitor and watch what's going on around them, which again, you know, helps them really feel safe and secure. Okay, so uh, James, does Penny like being high? Yeah, she does actually. She, as I said, she will try and get to the highest point of a room. Not all, not all the time, but when she, especially when she's being playful, yeah, she'll she'll try and climb or get. She'll 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 come in the room. She'll have a look around and go right. There's the highest point. How it's almost like a challenge to her. How am I going to get to that? Yeah. And obviously, she'll jump on one thing to jump on the next thing. And I see her doing it a lot outside as well now. So she's, right. she's doing a very very similar thing. Okay, yeah, because you mentioned in the previous episode, um, listener, go and listen back to that one, uh, and you can hear about uh, Penny's wardrobe escapades. Okay, so hiding is um, a useful technique for them, and not to be uh, not to be deterred. Let them do it. Don't go dragging them out because you want to play with them. And I think yeah, it's, that probably it's really important to stress that if you've got multiple cats in your home then making sure that you have lots of hiding places lots of shelves so that you don't get competition between cats trying to actually take spaces that they both really value okay so let's talk about the liminal space between indoors and outdoors the cat flap who wants to kick off with cat flaps carleen Sure. I think, um, and well, actually that ties into a little bit with litter tray as well, because James, you mentioned that Penny doesn't really use her tray anymore. Obviously, lots of people um, let their cats out and often then they will choose to toilet outdoors. But I think something obviously not really relating to kittens per se, but definitely when cats get older, they might need that litter tray again in the house. So either don't get rid of it completely or if you do, just know that at some point you might need to reintroduce it because again I think you know vets often see issues with inappropriate urination and and, and and pooing in the house in elderly cats you know it might be too cold outside or too difficult to get through the cat flap or they're too anxious and and so the only place to go is in the house and if you're not providing them that tray then obviously it'll, it'll be on the floor or on the carpet. Yeah and also I mean it does it's not it doesn't really relate to Penny here but if you are 
trying to do some cat flap training you can't just you can't just whip away the litter tray you have to have that there at the same time as while you're training them to use it anyway because otherwise there will be little mishaps yeah I mean interestingly with cat flap training I don't know what you find Sam but I I find I mean there's always some I know some cats find it really difficult and don't particularly like it but generally they get the hang of it pretty quickly don't they yeah, I think because it, it's it's sort of like that knowing, isn't it, that there are things outside that they really value and that that is the way to access them. So, yeah, absolutely. Once they understand that, it will happen fairly quickly. Yeah. I mean, the, the cats are curious creatures by nature and they like going through little holes. So what's not to love? Exactly. And then you do, I mean, you do get cat flaps these days as well, because I think one thing you want to avoid is other cats coming into your house obviously so if you've got a cat flap that you know is either locked or open and just lets anything in or out that that could happen and of course that is incredibly stressful for your cat so it's best to go for one of these cat flaps that is microchip operated so it only lets your cats or you know single or multiple cats in and out and also you can actually you know set timers on it so um that at specific times of the day or night they're actually kept indoors um in the play episode we, we touched on hunting and how you know some people might not appreciate wildlife being brought into the house obviously that mainly happens at dusk and dawn so you could limit your cat to have access to to the outside outside of those times and then I guess for fighting, that would limit fighting as well and, and potentially road traffic accidents. So you can be quite clever with how you set that timer um, to avoid those those things. Yeah. And so the um, go back to the, the, the cat flap with the microchip. How does that work? Is it does it does it get coded, correlated with your cat's existing microchip? You don't have yeah. to have an extra microchip that goes with the cat flap. No, it's just uh, the microchip they would have anyway. Oh, it's fascinating. So we've moved through the cat flap. Are there any other issues that we could discuss while we're still around the cat flap before we move into the garden? Sam, have you got anything else to mention about cat flaps? Yeah, I think it's worth it, um, people being aware that on occasion you may get neighbouring cats. So obviously not ones that live in your household, yeah. but are lurking outside of your own cat's cat flap. Um, and this can lead to sudden changes in behaviour and stress for your cat. So, you know, if your cat suddenly starts going to the toilet inside, which they haven't done before, that can be one of the things to think about um, and just to be aware of. And, you know, we, we do see territory disputes on occasion with cats. So, you know, we, we do live typically in areas where we have lots of cats in one area and we do know from normal behavior that cats really like to be able to range so they you know they will encroach upon one another's territories and that can again cause problems as well um, but there are some simple things that people can do and then particularly if you've got really good relationships with your neighbors so you know there's been some really great studies that have looked at the impact of creating timeshares for example so coming up with an arrangement with your neighbor whereby your cat might be allowed out at a certain part of the day but but then, you know, um, someone else's cat is then kept inside and then they're let out at a different time. So they actually then avoid one another. And that can be really helpful, avoiding disputes, avoiding fights that obviously we don't want to be seeing in cats anyway. So, you know, sometimes it's about just really, really um, communicating with your neighbours, getting to understand what their cats are doing and then coming up to a really good arrangement that suits everyone. Yeah. And that's a really good. You can have like you can uh, create your own little uh neighborhood kitten watch uh throughout so you can always like keep an eye on each other's kittens as well and J james you said earlier about um you haven't really witnessed any 
territory issues with Penny, but you just say she, she came in with a bristled tail and was a bit like, ooh, so you think it was another cat? I think it was another cat, and there are a few cats around here, definitely, but I haven't, I don't think there's been any fighting going on, but I think in terms of territory, Penny, Penny roams probably about 50 metres from the house, I reckon, and we have allotments at the back, and she definitely goes in the allotments. I've seen other cats in those allotments, probably seen as mutual ground. Yeah, so no no issues really with Penny at the moment. But yeah, there's a couple of times, as I said, she has come back with a, she looked a little bit startled uh, and her tail was up, very bushy, bushy tail. But um, generally speaking, she's really happy and she's happy to be outside all the time. So. Oh, that's good that you've got the allotments as well. She's probably got a little bit more space. I mean, um, when I had my cat, Molly, um, I lived in a, a, a little terrace in London and we were all a very, you know, we had our little you know, obligatory square piece of concrete as a, as a little back garden. And there were lots of those. And there was loads of cats on our road. And that is not a natural environment for cats. I mean, they wouldn't normally be in clo- that close proximity to each other, would they? Kittens and cats, really. I suppose kittens play more, but James? Well, we started the same thing, actually, quite a small garden. We started thinking, oh, maybe Penny will just, just stay in the garden. But it, probably after about three or four days of her doing that, she had the confidence to go, no, I want to go further. And uh, she just climbed onto the fence and off she off she went. Um, so I don't think, I think it's very hard, isn't it, to pen in a cat and tell it, you know, this is your area, don't leave it. They're going to roam. If they want to roam, they're going to do it. Yeah, they do what they want when they want. Sam, have you got anything, uh, any more advice around territory that we can touch upon with kittens? I think it's just that, yeah, like what James is saying, you've just, you, to a certain extent, being guided by them as individuals as well, because you will... You know, although they they are as a species, like they, they like to have a big range. You you are going to get some individuals that won't stray too far from home, and then you will get others that will absolutely surprise you in terms of where they're going. So, you know, I think it's it's very much trying to it's it's understanding your own cat and what their individual needs are and preferences are, and trying to accommodate that as much as possible. Yeah. So in the garden, if you've got let's move on to to spraying. If you've got say if you've got Penny is a little uh, she's only a few months old. She's a female kitten. What if there's a big old tomcat roaming around, spraying all around James's garden in the evening, and then Penny goes out? Is that going to freak her out a bit? Is she just going to spray over it? Yeah, I mean, she she may well be a little bit anxious about that, but you know, it's again as as Callie mentioned earlier in in the in this edition, you know, it's very much around. <clears throat> she will be going around as well and remarking yeah. her particular area. But yeah, she's probably going to have some encounters, certainly as a kitten, that are going to be a little bit worrying to her. So it's again, you're just making sure that she can get back inside to that place that she feels safe in, making sure she's got a hiding place, she's got a shelf so that you know she's always got a safe place to, ret- to retreat to. Yeah. Sam, is there, is there anything else that we should be aware of while our kittens are in the garden? I think there'll be a lot of us that have cats but also really really like wildlife um, and it's you know it's hugely important that we've stressed before that hunting behavior for cats is a really really strongly motivated behavior and it, actually if we prevent that that can be a real source of stress but obviously what we don't want to be doing either is sort of setting up situations where 
cats can potentially end up doing quite a lot of predatory behaviour. So it's really important about creating outlets for our cats. So there's lots of games that we can play that allow our our cats to express that behaviour, giving them opportunities to chase things, to pounce on things that allows them to exhibit what they would be doing. But also just thinking about as well, keeping them in at certain times of day. So dawn and dusk, we know are periods of of the day where lots of wildlife is a lot more active. So actually if you keep cats in for that period of time, that can actually then help reduce their predatory behaviour and that or at least their likelihood and instant of them coming across wildlife. You talk about kittens and cats being predatory outside. Is there anything that they should be afraid of or worried about? Or are they pretty much the, the kingpins of the garden? Well I, mean, I think you probably are going to, as we've sort of like touched on, there are going to be incidences where they do come across other cats. Um, you know, we've we, I think we've spoken about before that we tend to think, unfortunately, as cats as being like angry little dogs or just little dogs. Um, so we tend to think of them exactly the same, but you know, they're very much a solitary um, animal. So they they do like to, to be by themselves unless they've been bought up as part of their litter. And then they might be very, very close friends with their siblings. Um, so yeah, that, those are the things that they might find a bit stressful about being out in the garden. But you know, again, it is just about making sure that they've got that choice and that contro- control to move away from things that they potentially are gonna find a source of worry or a source Sophia. James, you, you t- earlier on you touched upon Penny's roaming habits in the garden. You say she, she goes up to about 60 metres away from the house into the allotments. Does, does she come back when she's called? Yeah, I mean, that's just my guess, Kate. I think she stays, as I said, I think she stays pretty local because every time I call her, she'll come back. So she can obviously hear me. She's in hearing distance. Um, so I know she's not going. She's not roaming really, really far. Sometimes it takes her a couple of minutes to come back. Um, and usually I spot her. She seems to go in the same direction. So she's not going too far. She's just and she comes back every time. So, as I said, she's she's not roaming uh, to the extent that some cats do. Yeah. Carleen and Sam, can you actually train recall? Can you can you train cats to come back? I mean, you can you can absolutely train cats. I think this is, again, sort of like another one of those myths that we have around them that, you know, that they're untrainable, that they're completely independent. But absolutely, there's some really great literature actually out there and some really accessible books that talk about how you can train your cat. So, yeah, you can train your cat to recall. I think what's just important from what James was saying is that, you know, whilst Penny at the moment is relatively uh, much, a, you know, it's very much a home bird and she's hanging around where she feels really safe and secure, there will be other cats that will just range much much greater distances and if you do happen to have one of those cats or you know in general what we'd always recommend is that you have them microchipped and that their details are kept up to date so if your cat does wander quite far from home um, and does unfortunately get lost there's that way of making sure that if they get picked up by someone they could be reunited with you really quickly Absolutely. And it's probably a good place here to plug uh, Pets at Home's Find My VIP service, which is a free service that you can sign up to. It kind of creates a local community in your area of of like-minded pet owners and you can all keep an eye out if your pet goes missing or just wanders off. You can find out more about Find My VIP at petsathome.com. So just to round up then, if your kitten is doing something that you don't like, they're not doing it to annoy you. They are clearly signalling or trying to signal something that um, you need to understand. And I hope that we've gone some way to explain the, the different things that your kitten might be trying to tell you and how you can help them and how you can understand your pet better. Also, if you want more information 
on kitten behaviour and body language. The RSPCA has some lovely infographics on their website, which is rspca.org.uk. And you can go and have a look at those and they can tell you what to look for and find out if your kitten is happy, sad, anxious, angry. So thanks again to my guests, Dr. Sam Gaines from the RSPCA. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Thanks again to Carleen Heyman. Thank you once again for your marathon of podcast guest appearances that you've been doing. That's okay. Um, thanks. And thanks to James, James Headley, the uh, lovely owner of the wonderful Penny the Kitten. Cheers, James. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And remember, if you have anything in particular that you'd like us to talk about, or if you want to simply let us know how we're doing with these podcasts, and I hope you're enjoying them, please do get in touch at kitten podcast at petsathome.co.uk that's the email address to write to us kitten podcast at petsathome.co.uk and you can also find us via at pets at home uk on instagram and on twitter our tag is at pets at home and more information on how you can join the kitten club which supports you and your kitten with expert advice and exclusive offers throughout their first year all the information can be found on our website, petsathome.com. Okay, so that's everything tied up. And join us next time for All Things Kitten. Bye. Bye.